Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardi. Hello Bardi. Hi, hello Windy. And our tactics guy and a man who always shows up for both halves. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. Actually not true, but uh, that's me. <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes things come up. Like I had to move house the other day in the second half and uh, sometimes... <laughs> You know, I put the game on. Spurs can see two minutes into the game, and I sort of, I sort of check out for the next forty-five minutes. You know, and then you rewatch it like yeah. three times speed. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, as ever, thank you for the emails this week. Another <laughs> busy week of email traffic. Um, special thank yous to Fergus McKee, Joshua Almeida, Len Deseretz, Paul Mayer, Paul. Sorry, Paul Maslin, Phil Mayo. Seb Smith, Antonio Silva, and Dave Brown. Well, lovely stuff. Loads of emails. We got some questions. If I've not mentioned your name there and you sent something in, it's probably because your question's in the running order at some point. So uh, thank you so much. Um, I want to give a little shout out to the 1882 fanzine, which we are partnered with. Delighted to say we're partnered with them from now on. Uh, Bardi did a lovely little pod with Spooky in, in midweek to talk about the articles that they both wrote. Did you enjoy that one, Bardi? Yeah, it was nice just to talk about Spurs and put everything that's happening right now into the into like the bin. I chat about two strikers who we kind of look at differently, but then at the time when they arrived, we we thought about them differently, and it was just great to get a little little to chat a little bit about history with Spooky. Yeah, great stuff. So the fanzine you can go to eighteen eighty two fanzine dot com if you're interested in getting a copy. It looks really nice. It's a great size for. Um, taking with you to the football list read it on the way uh you can buy the first three issues as a bundle for just nine quid plus delivery really really good value um really nice pieces of work great writers definitely recommend starting a collection of those and um join the main list so you can keep up to date with when the next issues are coming out um we've got two spurs matches to talk about um and let me start by saying that uh I'm kind of going to enjoy the rest of the season, I think. I've I've really enjoyed being a Spurs fan for the past week. It's felt very felt very new, actually. Uh, I tweeted about this. I got a lot of pushback. I tweeted about this pre-Liverpool and just said, you know, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. Like, I, I didn't have expectations for how the game would go. I thought we'd get destroyed by Liverpool, if I'm honest. 
but I was interested because Mason's got me caring. <laughs> um, he's a really he's a really nice he's a really nice person. Uh, he's on a really nice career trajectory. He seems very switched on. He's got a lot of ambitions. He's kind of doing things the right way. He started as a youth coach. He's working his way up and he's just kind of filled in, hasn't he, as, as interim manager twice now. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of good things to say about Ryan Mason as a, as a bloke. And uh, he's definitely making me feel nice things about being a Spurs fan again. I don't know how you guys feel about that. What I would say is I was really upset at the end of the Liverpool game. And yeah. that's sort of something. Like, at least I care. Like, at least I got to a stage where I could be upset about the result because it's been months since that's been the case, you know? So, um, yeah, making me feel something, making me care. You know, like with Stellini in charge, I was like... Kind of hope that we end up outside of the European Conference League because I don't care about it, and that's and I've checked out the season and I'm watching Burnley and 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 Bayern much more than I'm watching Spurs. Um, and then um, I mean maybe it's Mason, uh, but might also be a matter of the nature of the games, right? Comebacks from from being down is is a significant aspect as well. But I mean, I, I, one way or the other, I I cared, you know, something. I mean, I always find myself on a different side of the fence to you guys. And um, I mean, I like Ryan Mason. I think he's a nice guy and I have a lot of respect for him as a human being. But like, let's try and not be 2-0 down at halftime. Let's try and not be three, three goals down after 15 minutes. There is that. I mean, it's all fun and good having these amazing comebacks well, to gain a draw and then ultimately lose. I I look at the Liverpool game. Yes, I celebrated like mad the, the Richarlison goal and I celebrated the Sun goal. But then ultimately the Sun... The the Richarlison goal means nothing. It's you've you've lent someone's come to look after your dog. They lost your dog and then they've handed you his lead and go, Well, at least I've got his lead. You can have that back. But the dog is the dog is gone. The thing is, buddy, none of it means anything. Right? What what are we realistically going to achieve this season? I don't think we're gonna finish top four. The results are irrelevant. It's just we're playing for joy, we're playing for fun, we're playing for pride. And so to have a three goal comeback, even to throw it away, that's that's something. That's it's its own thing and, and nothing more, you know. I get it. I get that it, it was fun. Um, I got to say, the first half having traipsed in the rain to go to watch Spurs on a Thursday night wasn't mm. fun. Um, the the desire was strong to go home at halftime just because I, bet. Yeah. I couldn't be bothered with it anymore. Um, I didn't. I missed the first goal. I missed the Poro goal, which is a shame because it was a beautiful one. But just because I was contemplating going home because I just had enough of this shit. Uh, but I went upstairs and I watched the rest of it and I enjoyed it. You're right. I enjoyed it. But ultimately, it was a draw. And I enjoyed everything other than the first 15 minutes and the last <laughs> 30 seconds on Sunday. Oh, and God, yeah. Had we come away for 3-3, then fair enough. But I just think there's something to do with these individuals who were just idiots. And um, it's almost like there's a bit of pressure on the game. It's Liverpool away. Then we go 3-0 down and they decide, hang on, it doesn't matter anymore. Things don't don't matter. So let's just play with freedom and abandon. I and think we, that's it. That's but then it. we get to 3-3 and it's just like, oh my God, we've actually achieved something. We're going to do something and they throw it in the bin. Like, what was the point? Might as well just rolled over and lost 5-0 other than having this kind of impressive journey to, to pull it back to 3-3 just to squander it. Just like, what's the point, man? Why did you do that? It's really frustrating. One word, Lucas. <laughs> 
But he put him on. He put it. Why did he put him yeah, on? And I know you're not mad, happy with mad that. substitution. And I want to mad talk about the last ten minutes of Man United when we get there. So I'm writing that down in case I forget it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. So I mean, I don't want to spend too long talking about team selection, but I think there's a, an interesting thing to say about team selection, which is um, under Mason. It has largely been a continuation of what we'd seen under Conte and then Stellini in terms of the, in terms of the teams. Um, he played Richarlison against Man United. Richarlison then came back out for the Liverpool game. He has got Longley and Davis back, which is which is something. But he's stuck with, uh, well, he started with a three four three in both games, although he changed to three five two in the United game. In, sorry, in the Liverpool game. Uh, he stuck with Perisic, which I think a lot of people would have been quite maybe disappointed by. But to be fair, I think Perisic has played okay in both games. Um, and and he's got Fraser Forster there, but it appears that Hugo Lloris is injured. Now, whether we want air quotes around the word injured or not, I think he's up to up to individuals. Um, anything to say? Uh, I, I don't think he's had time to implement anything new, right? I would say that the Kulisewski and Richarlison situation feels like it's maybe actually rotation for the first time rather than one of them getting right. a long stretch and the other one getting a long stretch of two games right. a week, you know? But other than that, you're right. It's, it's most, mostly the same kind of stuff. And, and, and maybe um, Saturday's game will see something different for the first time because he has a, a full week to train. If he wants to train a back four and play a back four, he can. Um, if he wants to play like Dan Juma up with Kane, for example, he, he can do that. If he wants to play with Charles and not with Kane, he can do that um, because he's got time to work on it. Uh, these first two games, he had no time in the training field, so we I don't think we could have expected him to do much new. Uh, I would say there's been a different approach, though, generally. Uh, way way more um, high-tempo pressing than we'd seen under Stellini. Way more? Um, yeah, I think so. I think Stellini, we saw a very standoffish side under Stellini. Yes. Un- un- unlike Conte, who did want us to press in certain situations, I think Stellini saw us play in a more passive, reserved way. Okay. Um, Mason, I think, has got us more front foot. And, you know, partly that's game state, right? We we have sure. little choice but to come out and play. So who knows what the instructions were from the, from the very beginning, but... Um, I mean, I see, I see uh, a team that looks more confident, more positive. Sure. And I think that is probably, you know, we've seen the way the Mason's spoken uh, in front of the cameras. Mm. He he's trying to create um, a sense of togetherness amongst the players, a sense of um, he's trying to rebuild their fragile fragile confidence. And I, I do think he's to some degree achieved that in the past week. Although, as Barley says, it's it's worth little, you know, if you come away with a point from those situations, but. Really difficult games, to, you know. United sure. and Liverpool, two two of the most difficult games he he might have had. Um, what do we make of Jurgen Klopp's comments? Tottenham doesn't change at all; they just go for counter attacks, even when they're three one down. Somewhat true, but also the none of the three goals that we scored were from counter attacks. So yeah, and also what what are you going to do at Anfield? Um, it's it's a bit of a bogey ground for us. Why don't you just we... not get counter attacked on when you're three goals up? How about that? Yeah, absolutely. And you control the game out. Absolutely. Um, Interesting to see both Kane and Mason interviewed post-match and be absolutely furious with the first 20 minutes, as it appears that we all are. Um, it was a real mess. It was it was kind of what I was expecting, but at the same time really disappointing because it happened so quickly. And then once one went in, the others just followed quickly. And, uh, you know, I think 
I think there were some really stupid moments um, from individuals in, you know, Romero's tackle, for example, absolutely pathetic to, to make that challenge. Um, Dyer was all at sea all game, but, you know, especially in the first 20 minutes. And um, the first goal, there's no pressure on the ball. Trent Alexander-Arnold's one of the best crosses in the Premier League and we're, we're not pressure, pressuring him. I don't really know what's going on there. Um, any thoughts? I mean, there's... There's a guy at the heart of our defence who who's all over the place at the moment in terms of his passing, his positioning, and Romero. Romero is one of these guys that I think he, he's an he's an excellent part of a band. If everybody yeah. if everybody in the band is performing well and doing good things, then then he's great as well. If he's got Martinez alongside him, good midfield in front of him, he's he's a beautiful defender. And we've seen that many many times. But if there's madness happening on the stage with him, he's all over the place. He gets rash. He goes diving in, and you've got for the penalty he goes away I have no idea where Dyer was going and now all of a sudden you've got Romero having to do a cover and tackle because Dyer has just abandoned his place and I think that's the problem right now Romero he's just such he's such a free spirit that if everybody else is kind of playing jazz music he's up there smashing his head on a drum as well I just don't he needs he needs a settled defence around him to really shine yeah I mean all all three goals come from uh, starting from a situation where a Liverpool player in the final third has no pressure on them so I mean, again, it's a conversation we've had many, many times. Uh, we've had it many, many times about Dyer, right? Um, he's not an, one of the best defenders in the world, for sure. Um, but also, his team aren't helping him out. And now we can say the same for, for Romero, right? Each of them have weaknesses. What are the weaknesses of, you know, every defender in the world has strengths and weaknesses. What defenders, uh, the weaknesses of, of Eric Dyer are um, passivity in, in 1v1s um, and lack Position. of awareness of, of things happening behind him, right? So on the third goal, Dyer pushes out to Salah because there's no one on Salah. There's also no one putting pressure on Alexander-Arnold who, ha- who has the ball. Um, is that the right one? I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm getting my goals mixed up. It's the second goal. Second goal. Dyer pushes yeah. up onto. I don't know who that is. Is that Jones? Whatever gets out there. Hackpo. Um, Hackpo. And um, because there's no pressure on him, Skip hasn't moved over. Um, Hoiberg's been walked around. Sun's been walked around. Played around. Um, so he goes out there too late maybe but but a mistake has happened in front of him and then he doesn't track the run back that's that's his weaknesses what's Romero's weakness well he's a very very aggressive defender he's always looking to play to the line of, of as the maximum aggression he can be and when he's put in situations you know bad situations he becomes over aggressive and gives away penalties and fouls and and also commits high up into the play and, and isn't back in time right so um, again, not to pretend that I think that Eric Dyer is the best centre-back in the world because I don't think that. Um, but this is kind of the, the thing that frustrates me with Kane being angry post-match about the first 20 minutes. He starts the press. It's the same the other yeah. day with, oh, did you know that actually uh, young Oliver Skip is a member of the 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 player committee? And he was really angry at everyone for the first half against Newcastle. It's like, what the hell are you doing, man? What, what is you, you were the most advanced midfielder. What were you doing to disrupt Newcastle's midfield play? So <laughs> that winds me up. I think that um, the the reason I have this compiled, I did a little thread where I compared the fact that both the Liverpool and Spurs in this game and throughout the season have left their defences exposed in, in different ways. And yeah, I mean, that's... And, and and even then you can mitigate for some of the individual players, right? Hojbjerg's played every minute of the season and he's turned into a statue. Um, Kane, playing every minute of the season, um, has had 
devastating ankle injuries how much pressing can he do but if you have multiple players like that who are the players in front of your defense your defense is going to get exposed also Poro doesn't know how to mark a man in the box and that's just its own independent thing yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about that. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Poro is not great at marking, but I'm not sure that first goal is about Poro. So I've watched okay. it a few times. There's, there's a so Kudelski is is on the deck, um, and as he's getting up, Poro's waving at him to cover to mark Jones to pick up Jones. Okay, I missed that. Uh, who who ends up at the back post? Um, and Kudelski doesn't do anything. He doesn't move towards Jones. Doesn't do anything at all. Um, and Jones then completely runs off Kudelski. So Porro uh, is looking towards the ball, and Romero is in front of Luis Diaz and can't mm-hmm. see the run that Luis Diaz is making. Porro can, and I feel like Porro's. As we've spoken about in the last few games, he's kind of left with a decision to make: do I do I back off and mark Jones, or do I tuck in on Luis Diaz, who Romero can't see because of his body position? Oh. Um, and I, I think it's a difficult one. Like I think there's an, certainly an argument to say that Poro should have made the decision to not go with Jones, but I can certainly see why he was in two minds. Um, and he makes an attempt to win the ball in the air, and he nudges um, Luis Diaz out of the way, but then obviously the ball is brilliant because it's Trent Alexander-Arnold and it's mm-hmm. over his head, and, and Jones has got a free attempt. I, 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 I didn't catch... Um... Poro asking Kulusevsky to pick up Jones. Um, but I don't want my winger going out there. I think that we become so flat if he goes out there and we have a back six. I really I really dislike that. Especially. I, I, I think the thing is, he what, like Jones is central to begin with and okay. then makes the run back post because no one's marking him. At which point, so he's, he's Poro's man. I, I think that yeah, you just maybe, have to leave Romero yeah. in, a, also, in a 1v1. I also now. think... I don't think waving your hand at someone is um, is is an excuse. Is to get get you out of jail in terms of not picking it up. I I agree. He got drawn towards the ball, but that was still his man, and he should have realised that Kulusevski was on the floor when he was waving at him to get up. So he should he should have made um, should have made an adjustment. I think he's been getting a lot of stick from this game, but I thought generally he was all right. To be honest, I think yeah. Poro is this Poro? Poro. I think Poro. Was yeah, same. Okay. Same. I thought he had a good second half against United. I thought he had a decent game apart from that first opening quarter of an hour. And I, I think it's a little bit unfair, the stick he's been getting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I did want to talk about Poro. So uh, I got an email from Justin Cook, who said, can you talk me out of completely giving up on Romero and Poro, especially them playing together? Um, I, I'm very happy to attempt to talk Justin out of that, because I think, you know, when, we, when we're good again, which I think, hopefully, if we make a good appointment, we'll be next season... I think they're going to be two of our better players. You know, Poro has his weaknesses. Nathan pointed them out in a video before we signed him. Um, we know what his strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, his strengths were, I think, accentuated really nicely in the second half against Liverpool. I thought yeah. he had a really, really strong second half. Was one of our most creative players against United. Was one of our most creative players against Liverpool. Uh, we shouldn't have taken him off against Liverpool because I think we were more likely to score with him on the field, and we certainly shouldn't have replaced him with Lucas, who is um, dog shit. Um, but like, I think Poro next season is something to really hang your hat on and look forward to watching because he's a super exciting player. He will make mistakes and they will lead to goals, but he will create way more goals than uh, than he gives up, in my opinion. I'm also really enjoying his set pieces, to be honest. I think he's a really good set piece taker. I 
I don't like writing players off, especially talented players, and he definitely is. I, I echo what you're saying for the most part, but I'm really frustrated that we bought Poro at all. I think that buying Poro was, was wrong at the time. You know, we said it back at the time, back in January, back in December. Conte's not signing an extension. What's <laughs> our long-term plan thinking? Yeah. Either we yeah. need to immediately invest a much bigger sum than we ever invested in a single window, especially a January window, and buy him, you know, four new players to reshape the team, or we need to begin thinking about what we're going to do next, sack him, bringing in a new coach or a temporary coach, and 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 be in rebuilding the squad that way. Instead, we spent forty five million pounds on someone who I think is a specialist, who has definitely, definitely has a high upside as an attacking wing back, but um, is a specialist, I think. And um, I think that we can make use of him definitely, and and that high upside can remain. But um, he he traps us somewhat in what we can use him for, and and that we we made a mistake there. I think that's I think that's a very fair um, balance take. That you know, whilst there are upsides, perhaps we shouldn't have bought him. And I, I totally am on board with that. I mean, I also think there's an argument to say that if we'd used Jed Spence properly, we wouldn't have needed to buy him in the first that's place because also. we would have had we would have had a player who was adequate for our needs. I agree. Um, uh, but I think that the rotation of Spence and Porro next season can can be really profitable for us. I think that would be really helpful if we if we work it properly. Um, Bardi, can you uh, you spoke about Romero a bit already? If we get Romero uh, a really top quality partner for next season, what qualities does Romero bring that can uh, convince Justin that he's worth persevering with? I mean, I'd like to see Romero play in the die role as that kind. Of, I think he would be much better at stepping out a lot faster at it. I think he's reading the games better. I would like to see him in that kind of free free role in the back three, and then a decent centre back on his right, and then a decent one on his left. But that that involves us buying two centre backs right now, and I I just don't know if we will do that this summer or buy two. I think we have to. We have to. We've we've had to buy a centre back for a while, and <laughs> the centre backs we've bought have been Rodon and. Um, and we've loaned long Longley. Yeah. yeah. Check out the compilation I tweeted of Romero's game against United. Um, you know, mainly on ball stuff, but you oh, really so can't ignore ball. that stuff, man. It, it's it's significant. It's more significant than what Poro gives because he's simply involved a lot more. Um, mm. he's he can be rash. Obviously, we know this, but um, mm. in a functioning system, he's he's a very good defender and his his ability on the ball is really outstanding i i am still very very high on romero which is not ignoring how badly he's played the last few weeks he has played really poorly um really 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 poorly but like as nathan says the defense has been left exposed over and over again and i do think like i do think it's absolutely fair to say that eric dyer has been left exposed by the team but i also think eric dyer has been so bad this season Mm -hmm. like um and it's probably because he has been so exposed, his confidence has become shot, but he he doesn't trust himself anymore. There was a period of about 10 minutes in a Liverpool game where he just made clang after clang after clang, and he just looked like he didn't believe that he had the ability to be on the pitch. Well, being back to the City game and how exciting it was that Mason and Stellini devised this idea for him to step out onto Silver yeah. and how exciting that was. Well, he, he's still doing that and this is the downside, basically. And yeah. I think that he's doing that for a reason, which is the the lack of presence, awareness and activity in midfield means that it's necessary for him to step out and be aggressive. Um, the problem is the problem is not so much him stepping out. He's quite good at doing that the first time. The problem is him then recovering back to shape and the mm. rest of the defence not collapsing the moment that Eric God, Dyer he, leaves the penalty spot. He has no recovery pace at all, does he? 
Yeah, his, he, um, yeah, pass, yeah. his passing at the back has become an issue as well. He continually puts us under pressure. And yeah. um, there was there was a good 20 minutes there where he looked like a heavyweight boxer who'd been smacked a couple of times in the head and he was his knees were wobbling all over the place. Mm, for sure. Um, ben P also asked us about our defence. Thank you for that, Ben. Appreciate it. Um, James Sullivan says, I'm actually more proud than angry with the performance at Anfield. Mm. The players showed that with the right manager and confidence levels, there is something to work with. But what do you think about all the celebrations at 3 all? I realise it was Richarlison at Anfield, but the pigeon celebration with top four, sorry, with, with his top off, with another four minutes to play, just didn't feel right. Richarlison has scored one goal all season and we need to remain super focused. It was an equaliser, not a winner. And don't get me started on Lucas, he shouldn't have been on the pitch. Um... How did you feel about the celebration at the time? I really enjoyed it at the time. I I felt, you know, Richardson's been overdue. This goal has been, been you know, he's had a series of toenail offside incidents in the league. Yeah. He's obviously a quality player. I felt really good for him. I felt good about the performance. Yeah, okay, it's just a draw. But the, the in the context of the season that we've had, I thought it was worth celebrating. Um I don't think it ages too badly. I, I was happy for him. I thought it was great. I don't like seeing his back tattoo. I think that he should keep his shirt on so that we don't have to see a tattoo oh, of Neymar's face on his back and then also his own face on his own back. But but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I enjoyed it and I don't I don't hold that against him. Dubardi, do you think he went too early? In hindsight, yeah, he went too early. There was a there was a, a Giroud celebration when Arsenal drew free for the with Scorpion Bournemouth. kick celebration. The Scorpion, yeah, and I went after that celebration because I thought that was over celebrating a draw. That was Bournemouth. This was yeah. Liverpool away, yeah. and we were three 0 down. So I I do think if you if you're gonna put you're gonna put a, like a, a measure up against over celebrations, I think we were just about okay. But to then lose the game, it makes that celebration look awful. And I can't get that image of of Richarlison doing the pigeon celebration, and then 30 seconds later us losing that game. It's like one of those. Um, it would have been great. It's like it's like the Harry Kane celebration against Arsenal, where he rips off his mask. That celebration and that goal is like dead to me because of what happened in that match. And this celebration would have been iconic, but it's now dead to me as well because of the final result. Yeah, but of course, at a time of celebrating, you don't know that it's going to be dead. So like, not. I I think you have to live in the moment and just enjoy it and I don't I don't begrudge him his moment it was um it had been like a long a time now, coming he looks like a prat that's the risky he's take isn't it he's looking like a prat historically throughout his career though so <laughs> yeah 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 I mean I was so happy for him as well like he has he works so hard for the team yeah like, he's a proper team player you can tell the other players really enjoy playing with him they they enjoyed celebrating with him he's popular um and that goal he's been so desperate to get that Premier League goal for Spurs it finally comes it's at Anfield against the team that was his last club biggest rival there's a thing there with the Liverpool fans and I don't begrudge him that celebration at all I think it was absolutely fair enough um but yeah then we then we go and throw it away um should we talk about the 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 Lucas laps is there any point is we do we need to say anything about it yeah it is what it is yeah all right first of all fuck Lucas Mora right that's that's my personal position on Lucas Mora what I will say um is that this is part of a trend this season of us being behind in games making a series of extremely attacking substitution bringing all our attackers on and then being too spent and and not being able to reverse our subs and bring extra defenders back on uh, and being in a situation where we're trying to hold on to hold on to a win or hold on to a draw it was the Southampton game I think there's a couple of other examples as well where we've got a completely disbalanced team um, and then we've conceded very very late so mm. 
that is not Lucas's fault. No, no. I, I thought it was a really poor substitution from Mason. I thought Porro was one of our most effective players and uh, I don't really see what he thought Lucas was going to add. Like Porro was creative with his passing. Yeah. Lucas some, can sometimes create with chaotic dribbling. But I think asking him to do that from right wing back is asking a hell of a lot, to be honest. At the time, I was thinking at least he's brought all of the other attackers on first. At least yeah. we saw Richarlison on, on before him. At least Dan Juma's come on at the same time. Mm. But, but okay, obviously it's easy to say after the fact, but Poro was attacking enough, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, I've watched Lucas play a couple of times for our under-21s recently. Um, hasn't looked great. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say he's taken it seriously. Uh, like he, he scored he, a couple, hasn't he? He scored a deflected free kick and he really celebrated. He really enjoyed it. He really um, threw himself into it. Doesn't look great. <laughs> At that level, to be honest, doesn't stand out. You don't think he's going to um, make it at a senior level? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he might struggle to break through. League One loan, Especially, yeah, League One loan coming his way, yeah, for sure. See, I don't um, think, I don't think this, I don't think this is Lucas Lucas Moore's fault as a player. I think Lucas no, probably really. trains really hard, gives everything he's got. I don't think it's his fault that managers keep picking him and they keep playing him because there's been a quite a few now. From all the way from Pochettino, they played him. Um, so it's incredible that he makes himself available and so ready. But I just wish Mason hadn't gone for that decision. It, it was a bad decision. Um, yeah, I don't think he'll play again this season. He can't, but then he always does. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Windy, what would you be saying if instead of Lucas Mora, he subbed on Alfie Devine to play wing back and he played that exact pass to lose the game for us? I, I would say what I said, that it was a poor substitution because Pedro Porro was doing absolutely fine. I mean, the, the, the little like touchback that just didn't find its mark... That happens to a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's... I've seen that happen so many times to so many better players than Lucas. It happens. It's just unfortunate because I think Poro was really in the rhythm of the game. I think it's very difficult when you come off the bench, especially in the last few minutes, to 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 find the rhythm. And I don't think Poro would have made the same mistake, personally. No, it was a pass to Romero anyway. He wasn't passing it back to the goalkeeper. That's, that's why mm. I, I took I think so. Yeah, maybe I think so as well. Yeah. Um, Ivan Victor said I know it's easy to look at what's wrong but what are the positives that you see from the past two games we're trying we're trying I quite like Mason's um, adaptations I think yeah you know the 3-5-2 three, the three, 
So, um, are we are we talking about United game separately later? In the United we game, we, we we pressed higher in the second half, and we specifically pressed higher with Kane staying deeper as as sort of like the number ten and sitting on Casemiro, um, and then the sort of guys with legs running around him, which is what we've been talking about recently on the podcast. In terms, of if we were looking at a pressing manager in the future, can Kane even play that kind of football anymore? So that was cool to see. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, our pressing in the second half against United turned the game around for us. And then Liverpool didn't press so high, so much in the second half. Um, but we did change to a three-five-two shape. Actually, sort of twenty minutes in or so, it, it turns out. Um, context of that is this season, Liverpool have been experimenting with playing Trent Alexander-Arnold in a inverted fullback role. Um, the thing with that is, obviously, Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of the best strikers of the ball the game has ever seen, right? And therefore, to only have him out on the wing is almost a, a waste of his incredible talents. The more you can get this guy on the ball and the more variety of situations that he can do crosses from, the more you're maximizing his strength. On the other hand... He doesn't know how to receive on the turn. His positional awareness is poor. Um, his defensive game is is you know not great at fullback and m- even more awkward in midfield. So um, we changed to a, a, a asymmetrical three five two shape, and then in the, in the second half, on top of that, Sun was instructed it seems at halftime to mark him tightly. And that slowed down Liverpool's possession and their threat from possession quite significantly. And he ran away with his tails between his legs to go be a right back again. So um, it's kind of like sometimes uh, to me, or not just to me, but to other, you know, tactics, tweeters, guys are like, oh, why don't you, you should coach the team. What would you do? And what we're seeing from Mason is kind of like what would happen if if I was assistant coaches. I can I can recognise these things. I can come up with ideas like, oh, let's let's man mark Alexander Arnold. Let's press high with Kane to ten. Right, I can do those things. What I can't do, and what Mason can't do, is completely fix all of the basic errors in our defensive game. I don't know how to make Poro mark Jones. I can tell him after the fact you should have marked Jones, but I don't know how to integrate that. I don't know what what training methods to use, what what pedagogical frames to to use, all those kind of things. I don't know how to teach the basics, but I can do. I can imagine some tweaks. So we're kind of getting what if a guy off of Twitter was coaching Spurs at the moment. Well, Nathan, it's funny you say this. So okay. Mason's second in command is Matt Wells. Matt Wells is both a coach and an analyst. And one of the things that he is most famous for when he worked under Scott Parker in um, a couple of Scott Parker's managerial roles was uh, using video analysis to make tactical tweaks at halftime. So he would um, have his analyst up in the stands. He'd uh, be speaking to him throughout the first half. He would be picking up on tactical adjustments that he wants to make. And then he'd be asking the analyst to clip up sections to then show the players at halftime so that they can make those tweaks and give uh, examples of, of the tweaks that he wants to make. And I would not be at all surprised if if that's what we've seen in the last two games. Okay, yeah. Matt Wells, from using his analyst in the stands, uh, speaking to Mason and making some really highly effective tactical tweaks, which we then implement quite quickly. Um, I, I think there's. I think Matt Wells is really talented. I really like uh, the way he speaks about the game. Uh, there's a fantastic article which I tweeted out the other day, which I would definitely urge you to um, to have a read of. Um, and and I think there's a lot of promise in the, in the partnership between Mason and Wells in terms of Mason just being this like uber positive um, uh, per, like Mason I think 
gets people. He he understands motivation really nicely and can uh, can motivate a squad. I think Matt Wells understands football tactics to a degree that perhaps Mason doesn't, and I think there's a nice combination there. And then you've got Nigel Gibbs, who's in the setup as well, who's like an old school coach. So hopefully he will be he- helping with the the actual implementation on the training field. You know, Mason's got the the motivation. Wells has got the ideas, and Gibbs is is putting it all together in practice. I think that's. It's a pretty nice blend to see us through the season. Now, that is not to say that I want Ryan Mason to be appointed as as Spurs coach. Um, I've had quite a few mentions on Twitter, people like saying, "Do why? What? Because like, would you want Mason appointed?" Like some quite a lot of people saying, "I think I do want Mason appointed. Like he's doing well. I want him to come in permanently." I, I think we should not be appointing Ryan Mason. It's too early in his career, in my opinion, to appoint Ryan Mason. I think he needs to go away and have a couple of stints as a manager at other clubs. And then, you know, if he does well in those roles, then absolutely Spurs should be taking a look at him. But it's too much of a punt at the moment. As much as he knows the club, knows the players, it's way too much of a punt. And we we are a really big club that can attract a really top manager. Hopefully, like Nagelsmann, we would be, in my opinion, absolutely ideal. If we bring Nagelsmann in, which increasingly I'm getting towards we kind of need to, right? If we do, yeah. um, then I'd like to see Mason stick around for another year. Learn, I'd love that. I'd learn love under that. one more coach and then pick up a team in the championship or league one and, and, and have a couple of years doing his own thing for a while um, in terms of developing his path as a coach. Um, which I think I think the, the fact that we've seen this um, is a big plus for, for the club that we are developing a coach within our own system. That's good to I see. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I do love that. Big John Bass, um, Big John Bass in the fight, Cock once said that when you come out of a, a long-term relationship um, and it's ended and it's quite toxic, then you bump into somebody else. If that somebody else has one thing that your previous partner didn't have, all of a sudden <laughs> you think they're the most amazing person in the world. So Ryan Mason has turned up and he's super nice. Antonio Conte wasn't a nice person, but Ryan Mason is nice. That doesn't mean that he's the perfect manager for us right now, just because he's, he says nice things on TV. So I think we need to take everything that's happening now with Mason with a pinch of salt and just realize we're just coming out of toxicity and we've bounced into dating apps and got quite a you know quite a cool one and a good mm. one so let's not let's not drop a wedding ring on ryan mason quite yet <laughs> let's take him out on holiday let's um let's see how he copes he's, in an he's good for a summer yeah let's see how he copes <laughs> in an airbnb for a long weekend whether or not he leaves the toilet shitty or picks up his socks and that kind of stuff you know yeah yeah i mean i do think like he's a really uh pleasant antidote at the moment yeah. uh, a palate cleanser um, but we absolutely need another manager. <laughs> He's a nice lemon sorbet in bet- in between, like a big pasta dish. Yeah, so let, yeah. yeah. Let's 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 enjoy him, but let's not murder Mason and make him manager. Let him <laughs> let him make his bones somewhere else. I yeah, think he should absolutely. Maybe stay with us or go somewhere else. But think think wisely about his next move. The other thing that I've said previously, and I will repeat, I, I I think if we qualify for the Europa Conference League, then I would absolutely give that over to Ryan Mason to coach it for the season and let him just play the under 21 players in that competition and I think that would be a really good use of them and and be really useful for him to to coach uh, in, in that level of competition I think that's a brilliant idea I also think that it would never happen 
Why do you think that that feels so far from a possibility? Can you imagine? Can the, you imagine Ryan fans. Mason? No, no, not that. Right? Imagine Nagelsmann gets the first team, then Ryan Mason gets the Europa League, and Ryan Mason wins a trophy. And Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Mason wins a trophy before Nagelsmann. No, but like the that's first so team messed up. The first team takes over in like the the quarter or semi-finals, right? Oh, but then that's sly. You can't do that to Mason. Just like no, <laughs> Daddy's back. What's, what's, you, what's, you could maybe like give him one of the first team players every every match. You can, Harry Kane would be like, fuck off, I want my trophy. <laughs> yeah. I need my trophy. Everybody yeah, that's true. That is true. He would, wouldn't uh, he? He'd want to play every game. I like the um, idea of it, Windy, but I just don't think it would happen. You're, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, so, talking of managers, Mark Bird says, I just wanted to ask you why you think Spurs are not being proactive and getting a permanent manager in now. The observations from the last few games of the Mason are that this group of players do have character and ability, but are struggling to adapt away from the tactics of three successive of three successive pragmatic managers. Surely it would make sense to get a new manager in sooner rather than later and use the last few games for them to assess the squad and start getting used to a more progressive way of playing. That way we go into the summer with a clear idea of where the new manager needs to strengthen and with some of his ideas already starting to be implemented we wouldn't be playing catch up as much as we would be otherwise. Especially given that the front runner, Nagelsmann, is out of a job and should in theory be fairly easy to get straight away. Do we have any views on on why we're waiting? So Nagelsmann is not out of a job. He's still in his job. He's been relieved of his duties. He's on gardening leave. And the recent reporting is that... The recent reporting doesn't make sense. The recent reporting is that Bayern want a fee out of anyone hiring Nagelsmann before the summer. Firstly, um, I don't understand why a summer in a three years remaining Mm. on a contract changes that. Secondly, surely they just want to get his wages off the books, and and they're silly to be expecting a fee. Like, why does why does the summit change the fee? So, um, but then the report before that was that he himself wants to wait until the summer. It seems like the general process is, hey, let's um, the other and also the other candidates we're looking at are, you know, company is seeing out the end of the season, Ange Postecoglou seeing out the end of the season on a slot, seeing out a title win right now um so on. Bo Svensson sorry Bo Svensson is the latest name to be linked okay who is the Mainz Mainz manager oh okay Danish yeah. uh ex-central defender hmm. um but yeah I, I think that most of the candidates would look about we want to wait for the summer and also like we said earlier there's there's nothing left in this season there's nothing important to play for mm. um I think that um, a coach can get most of the information they need to get by one watching the games back from the end of the season and also a couple of weeks of, of training um, to decide mm. how they want to build the squads and that should be enough mm. Um, mm. yeah I um, think um, I think sorry. probably Nagelsmann was released by Bayern Munich or put on gardening leave by, by Bayern Munich and a fee put in place to protect him from going to another Champions League team, Chelsea or uh... perhaps Milan around that time were also looking at their manager. So it maybe kind of protected them coming up against him in the Champions League. So there might be not. Yeah. That also, I think Tuchel probably had a contract, uh, something in his contract. He couldn't take another job in England without compensation. Potter, obviously, deserve So I think, like Nathan said, majority of the managers would go for either seeing out a season or kind of contractually bound to, to get it to the end of May. Mm, makes sense. I don't want uh, to Bar- just put it out there. Bo Svensson, that means Schoenberg's going to become captain and <laughs> the club. So let's not go for Bo- Even though his name does offer a whole load of uh, possible songs, like, like Bo Svensson, something you know like the crowd say both select us (laughs) terrible terrible cut it cut it 
Cut it. Cut it. The crowd said both. Select us. Um, Bardi wants to talk about the last 10 minutes against Man United and we have a question yeah. from Kerry Duckett who said we had chances left and right up until the equaliser mm-hmm. and then were camped out in our own half the last 10 minutes against Man United at what point will you concede no pun intended that it wasn't Jose or Conte forcing the team to drop back instead of going for it but something about the core group of players and I would posit that this was more <laughs> evidence for the coach dictating it because Mason yeah. literally brought on Tanganga um, which to be honest, I thought it was the right move, especially in hindsight. I thought we were looking a little, um, we were leaving some gaps. And I think, like, imagine if we'd gone on to lose that game. I think we could have won, but we could have just as easily lost. And I think if we'd gone on to lose that game, like, all the good vibes of the comeback would have just been lost, in my view, especially in a home match. Um, but, Bud, you were there. You, you were there. You had the feeling of, of what it was like to go into that final 10 minutes. There was a real expectation when we scored the equaliser for us to go on and win that game. The the weight and the momentum was with us. The United fans had finally shut up singing about Kane. Things were coming our way. You could feel that a winner was going to come to us. And I thought that substitution just sucked the life out of the game. And you're right, it just meant that was it. That was us settling for 2-2. And I think had a manager with a vowel at the end of his name done that substitution, <laughs> there would have been murders. There would have been booing. There would have been all kinds of stuff going down. But there wasn't. Get home and I see I see Windy Coys is going, oh, that was a good substitution. <laughs> Had Conte done that, or Stellini, you would have been losing your mind. So I think there's um, you're playing favourites a little bit there. I think it was a bad substitution, but we did get a draw, but then we could have gone for the win. So now we're criticising him for not getting the win against Liverpool, and also we're criticising him for getting the draw against Man U. But I do think the win against Man U was there, and I think the point against Liverpool was there, and we stuffed it on both times. I was frustrated by the substitution and the immediate approach at the time um but since then he post-match he spoke really well he said look we were exhausted pushing for the equalizer in fact we probably pushed too hard for the equalizer like when you're saying left gaps um and and we were going to fall apart if we kept pushing for, for a winner so we had to we had to shore things up and i found that um convincing i found that really convincing it, it won me rounds you know and I think that if maybe Conte and Stellini and Mourinho had a couple more times just come out and been that forthright about it, it would have been easier to, to accept. When, and I think also, you know, talked about earlier about the uh, Southampton game, the Liverpool game kind of justified it that we, we when we pushed too hard, we've, we've thrown it away. Yeah, I think for me, that's the difference. It's that Mason sort of fronts up and takes responsibilities for his decisions and, and then explains them in a really kind of tangible understandable simple way he's just a very straightforward guy i think and i i really admire that about him nice hoodie um he looks great in that doesn't he <laughs> uh, i've seen a lot of people saying like you need to everyone needs to buy this hoodie <laughs> it is a nice hoodie uh yeah i was i was fine with that but i mean Bardi's probably right if, if stellini had done that i would have probably been furious I probably would have been to be honest um but i think the context is different i think we we having been destroyed by Newcastle we needed some good vibes back um, and I think if we'd gone on to lose that game against United the good vibes would have gone um, and I think even after the the really really disappointing last minute goal against Liverpool I still think some good vibes remain going into the last few games um, and I'm pleased for the match going fans to be honest because I don't think there's much left of this season for, for us to worry about it's, it is what it is whatever happens happens but the people who've got tickets and will go to the matches Hopefully we'll have something to enjoy and a bit, a bit of pride back. Um, and I think that's that's the most important thing for the rest of the season. 
Um, Nathan's already referenced the player committee. <laughs> Had a couple of questions about this. People are very, very interested in the whole concept of the player committee. Uh, Len DiMano says, is it just me or does the fact that the recent player committee of Kane, Larice, Dyer, and Hoybier speak volumes as to the mess the club is in? Obviously Kane's aside and Larice is captain. Why would you seek counsel for players who are actually part of the problem? And Seb Smith said, I'm not sure, but I'm one of the only people that believe that one of the major problems in this club is the player committee. There is Dyer and Hoybier. They're, in my opinion, below average players and how are they supposed to lead? Uh, I'll go last on this. Uh, Bardi, what do you make of this? I think I think we're thinking too much about this player committee, yeah. to be honest. It, it's, it's a funny thing to, to look at and, and comment on. I do think they are senior senior representatives at the club. Dyer's apart from Kane and Dyer's been there the longest. He's been there a long old time. So I think it makes sense for him. And I honestly believe the player committee is probably there for individuals who have an issue. They, could, they can go and speak to them as senior members. They're also there perhaps to help settle any disputes between players over, I don't know what they argue about, Gucci fan packs and that kind of stuff so they're there to put those problems aside and perhaps be representatives of the individuals when speaking to the club and speaking to the coaches I don't think they're there actually like the Masons making decisions behind the scenes and forcing out managers yeah I think I largely agree that that um like I spoke to earlier with regards to to Skip and Kane um every single player in the squad bears considerable negative responsibility for performances this season. So there's no clean, pure player who who's unscathed. Um, and also the players need to have a collective voice and a, and a form of union and uh, a way of liaising with senior staff at the club. So I'm, I'm not too worried. I don't think that there's like a, a an English lads mafia. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I think club, yeah. my impression is that this has been massively overplayed, that the even the phrase player committee is an invented phrase. Okay. by the, the collective media um you know if you've listened to eric dyer speak at length if you listen to him on on podcasts and things same with hoybier you'll know that they are really articulate really smart guys who have a good understanding of 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 the game and um as a result of that they probably are really well respected members of the squad because they're they're decent they they can put a point of view across in a in a rational and sensible way, and so it would make sense. It would make sense for them to act as spokespeople on occasion. I suspect. Um, obviously, Kane's deputy captain, Larissa's captain, are gonna gonna have a say as well. There's like a a bit of hierarchy there. I don't think this is unusual. I don't think it's different to any other dressing room, and I don't think you need to necessarily be the best player to be the one to have to put forward a view. Um, I guess the point is they're representing the whole, and, and, you know, the, the vibes in the dressing room and these occasions. And uh, I, I don't see anything more to it than that. <laughs> vibes committee. Yeah. The vibes committee is, is, is what I'm going to call it. Um, in terms of Hoybier and Dyer and, um, you know, whether they are the problem in the club, how do you feel about that? They don't help. They're not They're not solutions. I think they both have key roles in this formation and they're both not up to the task. Nathan, where are you on Hoybier? We haven't, we haven't done Hoybier for a while. Where are you on him at the moment? Um, I think he's been playing very badly for quite a while. I think that he's dramatically overplayed. This is the same thing. This happens in the final We've seen this countless of, times, haven't of we? every season he's been at the club. Um, to an extent where, one, you can say maybe that's a slight limitation of him as a, as a player. His long-term cardio could be an issue. But also, if it is, every single coach we've had has poorly managed his minutes. Um, I think that you can even say that, like... Um, 
as a player, he um, has poor concentration and poor decision-making and problem-solving when he's mentally exerted and that that is a skill of its own that could potentially be worked on. Um, in terms of like him at his best, I think he's a, he's a good player. Um, I find him aesthetically challenging <laughs> even when he's playing his best. Um, but I, I think that sometimes I think that the the way he looks when he touches the ball, controls the ball, makes everything he does look worse in possession. Whereas when you actually look at what he achieves and doesn't achieve and, and the bad things he does, it's, it's not that much worse than some very good players. That said, um, I think that we need to be looking towards playing a back three next season under whichever the next coach is. And I don't know as his profile as a player is necessarily right for the roles that you would see in the midfield that plays in front of a back three, unless you've got Antonio Conte as your coach. And I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm just sort of up in the air with Hoiberg. It really depends on the coach, the roles. There are definitely roles that suit him and roles that don't suit him. Um, and his general quality doesn't decide either way whether he should or shouldn't be in the squad next season. Maybe he's someone who is a, you know, someone who plays 1500 minutes next season. Maybe he's too too senior to be doing that at this stage in his career. I honestly, I think that is what we need to be aiming for with Hoybier, that he plays somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 minutes next year rather than the 4,000 plus he's played this year. Mm. He, Like you say, he's been played way too much in every season he's been with the club. You know, his availability is a strength, but it's also a weakness. And um, and it's a weakness because of our lack of rotation in midfield, which has been particularly disappointing this year because we've actually had good midfield options. And, you know, Pap, Pap Sarr has, has barely played, and yet he's looked really competent whenever he's been called upon. Um, and I can't quite get my head around that. I, I, I think a lot of um, what will determine Hoybier's future is who we bring in as coach and what system they want to implement. And then we can make a decision as to whether Hoybiaz stays as part of the squad. Either way, we need to dramatically improve our creativity and technical ability in midfield. And there are setups in which Hoybiaz can complement uh, yeah. uh, a playmaker and, and setups in which he has to go because he can't be the guy. Yeah. So it really depends. Um, so I, I, I have noticed that. though. Go on. Sorry, no, no. No, I was just going to say I have noticed in the last couple of games when Hoybier has been given a bit more freedom to push forward, he has been he's been trying a few more things and they've not all been bad. Uh, sure, it's, it's for the first time in a while, and like he's not obviously he's clearly not Mister Creator, but he can do some of that, and I think he's going to do more than has been shown throughout much of the season so far. I acknowledge that exists. I understand where the Danes are coming from, but I am not in any way inspired by the prospect of Hoybjerg as a number eight. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So that is irrelevant for me. It's it's adorable <laughs> that he has that in his locker, but it's meaningless for Spurs and the aspirations we want to have. Yeah, that's fair. Sorry, what were you going to say about Saar before I Oh, I thought you? that he had a horrifying cameo against Newcastle, but it's harsh to dig him out for that. Um, what did you think of him coming on against United? Or he's just fine. Yeah, just fine. Yeah. I think that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really want to see a lot more of him. Sure. I think there's there's a lot there to work with. I'm looking forward to seeing how he can develop as a player. To be honest, um, <laughs> Bardi, do you want to say anything about Hoybier, or are you are you Hoybier out? Um, I am a Hoybier out. I would like to limit his minutes. Perhaps not fifteen hundred. I think I'd go for something like fifteen. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nathan If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. 
production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.